Let's open our Bibles, John chapter 18, and uh, get ready here. John chapter 18, as we back up. Um, John chapter 18, we talked last time about, you know, the, the Garden of Gethsemane and, you know, Jesus. That was some of the most intense, if not the most intense prayer uh, in all recorded history, really, I think. And, and this idea of being in there in the Garden of Gethsemane where, you know, the pressure, you know, the sorrow, the trouble was all pressure, pressure, pressuring, pressing in on him. And, and what did he do? What do you do when, when the pressure starts to cave in on you? Pray. Pray. That's really, that's what we do. That's what we need to do, you know. And, and uh, that's what God's given to us. The gift of prayer. So often, you know, we run to our friends or we run to, you know, and it's not wrong to, to again, uh, we have support of our friends and brothers and sisters, but ultimately we need to go straight to God and pray. And that's what Jesus did there. It says he prayed to the point of death, the situation. And, and that's really what it was all leading to. He falls with his face to the ground. He prays, my father, if it's possible, may this cup, be taken from me, this cup of sorrow, this cup of suffering, and, and, and really the wrath and the judgment of God. But th- there was no other way. There was no other way than the cross. And one, one other thing, you know, that I, that I have to uh, learn from Jesus' example is that he surrendered his will to the will of the Father. That's for us. That's for you and I. We need to surrender our will. And it's a daily thing, you know. Uh, saying, it's in that song we sang, I just realized, daily, daily, I surrender. And, and do we do that, daily, daily, I surrender? Or do we, you know, we, we just go whenever we need some help. Well, okay, I'll listen to you now. But, you know, for most of the time, I'm the captain of my ship kind of thing. Jesus said, watch and pray. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So you need to watch and pray. Now today, I have a question for you. And uh, maybe you'll be honest, but maybe you won't. Uh, Have any of you ever been arrested? There's an honest guy over there with the big beard. Don't point the camera at him. You know... um, it's a, it's, a, it's a frightening thing, isn't it? To be arrested, to be taken into custody by, you know, a legal authority you know, uh, and to be questioned further and to be charged. I have to say I've never been arrested. I was very close to being arrested. I was just in high school and I'd done some things uh, that I, you know, well, I'll just tell you what it is so you don't wonder. I uh, drove a car that was stolen and I crashed the car. Okay, and the main reason I crashed the car was because I didn't know how to drive yet. But I said, I want to drive, and so I crashed the car, and the guy that took me there, he broke his arm, and thankfully nobody was killed. I mean, somebody could have been killed. And so uh, at the time, I was in the principal, the, the vice principal's office when this took place, and I, we left to go do this little escapade, I came back and I said, you know, I'm not, not feeling so good. I'll come back tomorrow. He said, okay. I went home and I just waited. 
because I knew they were going to come and get me. Because when I crashed this car and we got out of this car and it was, it, it was a little Volkswagen bug. This is an interesting story, isn't it? And, and, it, and it, I went around this corner and it started to roll. And they roll very easily. And it, it got stuck on a fire hydrant with the bottom like up in the air like this, right? Can you picture that? So we crawled, we climbed out of this vehicle, and some of you are going like, no, this, this is not true. You never did that. Yes, this, I did this. We crawled out of this vehicle, and the guy I'm with, uh, a woman comes out of the house right there and says, oh, and calls him by name. He lived like two doors down. We were completely busted. But we ran out of there, went back to school, and I, and I went home, like I said, and I just waited. And sure enough, uh, we got a call, the police came, and my, my mom said, oh, I'll take him down to the station. So I, I wasn't actually arrested, but I was very close to it. And thankfully, there was a family friend who, uh, who took me into his home for a while, uh, or I would have been, you know, in some kind of place, I'm sure of it. Why did I bring all that up? Because Jesus, we're going to look today, is Jesus was arrested, right? He was arrested. And, and this thing is, as we see in this chapter, in this section we're looking at today, he's the great I am. And, and we have to say the great I am, and, and who is the great I am, and the fact that the great I am is arrested, taken into custody. I mean, this is, we have to understand what is going on here. And is this even possible? The truth of the matter is, is that Jesus, from beginning to end, Jesus was in full control. Jesus was in full control of the situation. And, and it was the will and it was the love of God, not the will of man, in this whole situation that took place here. We need to understand that because if we think Jesus was just a man and they came and they took him and they grabbed him and they did all this stuff to him. No, Jesus Jesus knew what was going to happen, as we'll see, and he, he willingly gave his life for the sins of the world. He willingly did this. He was in complete control. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. It says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples. They crossed the Kidron Valley, and on the other side there was an olive grove. And he and his disciples went into it. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. Now Judas, who betrayed him, he knew the place. Because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Jesus had often met there. But Judas there, you know, he knows about this place. And, and we can't, you know, uh, hide from the fact that Judas was one of the twelve. And Judas is the one who's betraying him. Jesus is the one who's involved in all this. And he had often spent time with Jesus in this place. And he's the one that is now betraying Jesus. But this, this garden, I think it was a special place. And Luke chapter 21 says that, that, that they would often leave the city of Jerusalem, as I showed you, the, 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 the terrain and cross this little valley, this, the Kidron Valley, and go up to this place. And they would often actually spend the night in, the, in this garden of Gethsemane. But it's interesting, isn't it? You know, Jesus, he knew what was going to happen. Where did he go? He could have went and hid somewhere. But he goes to the place that Judas knew where he was going to be. As, as I said, Jesus is in full control from beginning to end. 
Judas knew exactly where to find him, and Jesus didn't hide. He didn't hide who he was. He didn't hide what he was, you know, what he was all about, the things that he did, the fact that he prayed. It reminded me of, of uh, Daniel in the Old Testament, where Daniel was being set up, right, to, to take him down because people didn't like him. They were, you know, they wanted to persecute Daniel. And, and it says this, that in Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published that nobody could pray or anything to any other God except, you know, the, the uh, ruler there, it says he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And of course, they went and said, look, he's doing exactly what you told him not to do. But Daniel didn't try to hide who he was. He didn't try to hide the fact that he was a man of prayer, that, that he asked God for help. And, and John Corson points out this, you know, where do people find you and I? Uh, you know, are we, are we hiding who we are? Are we ashamed of the fact that we trust in the living God, that we call upon his name and, and we're not afraid to pray? We're not afraid to ask God for help? Jesus, Jesus didn't hide. And, and you know what? You and I need to, to realize, you know, we're, we're followers of Jesus Christ and, and we might stand out, but that's okay. And to be who you are. You know, don't be afraid because the world says, you know what, you, you know, that's, you know, there, there's nothing to that or whatever the world might want to tell you. Anyways, verse 3, moving on, it says, so Judas, he came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. The weapons they had were swords and clubs. Now Judas, it says in Acts chapter six or Acts chapter one, verse sixteen, he, he served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He guided them exactly where to go. But but it says there that he was one of our number and he shared in this ministry. He was a part of it, as I already mentioned. And yet he's the one who's now guiding these people who are going to arrest Jesus. Now, a detachment of soldiers, uh, you know, they, they talk about exactly what were they referring to in this particular case. Because the term uh, applied to different, you know, groupings of soldiers. Uh, most likely it was between 600 and 1,000 men. At the very least, it was 200 men that they gathered together to come and arrest Jesus and now 11 men. They have at least 200, but, but more than likely between 600 to 1,000 men, they're going to come in to arrest this man, Jesus. I think they were a little worried, right? Was Jesus worried about this? I don't think so. But they come with their swords and their clubs. Look at verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he went out and asked them, who is it you want? Again, Jesus isn't taken by surprise at all in any way, shape, or form. He is in full control. He knew all things. He knows all things now as well. He knows everything about you and I. He knows the past, the present, and the future. And it says that he went out to them. 
He went out and asked them, who is it that you want? There was no running. There was no hiding. He went out to meet them and, and asked them exactly, who is it you want? I think uh, one translation says, who are you looking for? He goes out and asks them, who are you looking for? And that, that is the big question, you know. Who are you looking for? Now, these are soldiers and, you know, leaders, uh, religious leaders, chief priests, officials and that. And, and you know, they are they're wanting him uh, for different reason, right, than what you and I perhaps are looking for Jesus. Why, why are we looking for Jesus? Because we've heard that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Because we heard that he has all power. We heard that, that he can help us in life, that he can save us and rescue us, that he can do all, all, everything that God can do in our lives. The soldiers weren't necessarily looking for him for that reason, were they? Although I think some of them found Jesus in a different way than they ever had before. So that's really the big question. Who are you looking for? You know, what are you looking for in this life? And, and, and why are you looking for this person? The truth of the matter is, as I think about this, you know, Jesus said, watch and pray, right? When I think about what's going on in our world today, people are looking for an answer, you know. And there will come... There will come, mark my words, there will come someone who is going to say, I have got the answers for you. And who is that person going to be? The Antichrist. And he will bring together, you know, uh, the, the situations in our planet, in our world. But we don't need the Antichrist. We have the Christ. His name is Jesus. Who are you looking for? What are you looking for in this world and in this life? You know, when, when Jesus has already come, the Messiah has already come. What did they say to him in verse uh, 5? They said, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Now you say, well, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, they, you know, that's what they said, but the truth of the matter is that that's kind of a term of reproach because Nazareth, Nazareth wasn't a very popular place. It was kind of a low, down on the totem pole place. You remember what they said, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come from that place? But what did Jesus say? What was his answer? I am. Now, all the Bibles say, I am he, but if you have like a King James Version, you'll see the he is in italics. Now, when a, in, in that version and other versions, when it's in italics means that the editors added that so, you would, so it would make more sense. But what Jesus actually said was, I am. That's what he actually said. It's brought out three times in this passage. What does that mean? When Jesus said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. That is such a powerful statement. What does it mean? It means the great I am. It means the name of God. Why do you say that? Why do I say that? Because in Exodus chapter 3, you go back to 
chapter 3, Moses protests that he's speaking with the Lord. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. And say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. See, that's, what is his name? His name is I am. The name Yahweh is a, is a form of this word, I am. I am who I am. That's what Jesus said to them, and that's what he was saying there. Earlier in the Gospel of John, it says, you know, uh, Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. They didn't like that at all. You see, they understood what he meant when he said that. In fact, it says they picked up stones at that point in time to stone him, to kill him. But he just walked away. Why? Because he was in control of that situation as well. He could have walked away in this situation here in the Garden of Gethsemane as well as that particular, that previous time. But Judas, the betrayer, it says there in verse 5, was standing there with them. I mean, if, can you picture this? Judas, who had spent all this time now with Jesus, who had stood with them, who had gone out on missions, done all this stuff with them, seen all miracles, seen all the things that Jesus had said and done. And now who is he standing with? That's not a very nice picture, is it? Walking with Jesus on the road. Now, obviously, there's a huge difference because his heart was never with Jesus. He didn't lose his salvation. He never had his salvation. But the, he, could, he could be with him and hang out with him. And then, then one day he's standing with, you know, the enemy, basically. We, we need to be very careful that, first of all, our hearts are, are completely sold out to Jesus. But, but, but you know, to, to go from one side to the other, that's, that, that's not a very nice picture, is it? Look at verse 6. It says, when, when Jesus said, I am, what happened? They drew back and they fell to the ground. They, they fell backwards. They drew back and fell to the ground. This is... How could that happen? What happened here? It, it's, it's completely in line with what, what I'm saying to you about this idea that Jesus said, I am, you see. Because he's talking as who? As the very power and the majesty and the glory of God. His, God's presence is right there. Jesus declares who he is. And they all they could do is fall backwards to the ground. Sometimes, you know, uh, we take things so for granted and we take things so lightly. We don't understand really who Jesus is and, and who God is and that, that we are human and that he is God and he is holy and righteous and pure and, and we are, you know, human beings. I was wondering about this. It said they kind of fell backwards. I think, I think maybe... Maybe there's a difference between, you know, falling backwards and, and maybe falling forwards. You know, falling backwards is a sense of resistance. But falling forward is, is, is kind of a sense of, 
of repentance and, and of humbling ourselves before, before, before this almighty God. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that Philippians tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But you know, we need to do that before. We need, we need to do that before. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, but you know, it's going to be very different between those who do it now here and those who are forced to do it later. Very different outcome, very different destiny. So they fall back and, and you know, again, they're arresting him now. And they, they get knocked back onto their, you know what? And they're, arrest, they're coming to arrest him? Like, are you serious? Verse 7 says, again, he asked them, who is it you want? Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answer, answered, I told you that I am. I told you that I am. Don't you realize who, who it is you're looking for? Again, of course they didn't. But he knew exactly who he was. And, and don't you and I realize who Jesus is? Don't the people in our world understand who Jesus really is? Why, you know, the Gospel of John is all about who Jesus is. And you and I need to understand, you and I as believers and followers of Christ, we need to understand who it is that we're following. He's the great I am. He's not some swear word. He's not some good teacher back in history. He's not anything like that. He is, he's the great I am. He's God the Son. He said to them, if you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those that you gave me. Even in the middle of all this, we, we see that he's caring for his disciples. He, but, but I think it was even more than that. He, he knew that this was a journey, this was a mission that he had to do by himself. They would not accompany him on this mission because they were not... They did not have any part in, make, in making this come to pass, the salvation of mankind, you see. It was something that only Jesus could do. Now, they would certainly have you know, work to do, and they would certainly serve him, and, and, and all of them except John would end up giving their lives as martyrs for the faith of Jesus Christ. But this particular death would only be one. There was only one. And his name is Jesus. Look at verse 10. It says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? You know, there, there we have Peter. You know, Jesus, Jesus says, let these go. Set them free. Let them go. And Peter, he, you know, basically he had been having a nap, right, just before this happened, right? They were all asleep. 
he was maybe a little groggy still. And you know, you know when you just wake up, you hear a noise or something, you just wake up and you start doing all kinds of nutty stuff. Well, he grabs the sword and he starts swinging this thing around. And you say, wow, Peter, you know, you just have so much courage. You have so much zeal. Is that really what's happening here? Or is Peter just kind of getting in the way again? Peter trying to help out. Well, let me, you know, let me get in there and do this. Jesus already said, let these men go. Let them go. It's just my mission here. You remember in, in Matthew chapter 16, uh, you know, Jesus, it says he, he began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus said that to his disciples over and over again. What did Peter do in that particular case? It says Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Can you believe that? Jesus is telling him, this is what's going to happen. And, and Peter says, Never, Lord, he says, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine Jesus calling you Satan? You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And that's what was happening here, too. He's, he's going to pick up his sword, and we're going to defend you. We're going to stop this all from happening. You're never going to go to the cross. This is not going to happen. Jesus said, uh, Peter... Just put the sword away like, I do not need your help. How many times do you and I do that? You know, we're going to get in there and help Jesus do all this stuff. But there was no other way. We've already talked about this over and over. There was no other way than the cross. Jesus had made this decision in prayer. He had confirmed it in, in the garden in prayer. And there was no turning back. You know, how many times, again, do you and I, we get, we get the sword out and we start swinging wildly. We, we have no clue what we're doing, but we're going to get in there and we're going to make stuff happen. And we strive and do all kinds of stuff. God, forgive us. God, help us to not do that. There is a time to fight, yes. And we've talked about in these last days, contending for the faith of the gospel. But we can't grab the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and start slashing people up either. Again, what I said was Jesus was completely and fully in control of this situation, and he did not need Peter to jump in and do this. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples in in Matthew's account of this, he says, do you, not, do you think that I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Don't you, th- you, know, don't you guys know I can, I can call on the Father, my Father, right now he's going to give me 12 legions of angels. How many know how many are in a legion? How many? How many? 6,000, okay? 6,000, so that's 12 times 6,000 is how many? 72,000 to to fight off a 1,000 max, 
men, he could, he could have easily just wiped them all out. I mean, we already saw the power uh, of him just saying his name, I am, and they just, boom, fall over. He was going to drink the cup. He says, shall I not drink the cup? Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers at that time the, of the temple guard and the elders, he said, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you didn't lay a hand on me then. He said, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. You see, this was this, this hour of darkness when sin would be, uh, you know, the, the wrath and the judgment of God upon sin would take place. This hour of darkness. And Jesus was going to let it happen. Why? Because he knew that was the only way. There was no other way. There was no other path forward. Finally, we'll, we'll close in verse 12. It says this, Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials, they arrested Jesus and they bound him. They arrested Jesus and they bound him. What they bind him with? Ropes? Chains? Whatever they had? It says that... It, you know, did they bind him? Could they bind him? Could they hold him? No, not a chance of it. Pastor Chuck says that Jesus was bound by his love for you and me. And that is the absolute truth. That's, that's what held him there. He gave himself up for them and he gave himself up for us. Uh, Mark tells us after this, all the disciples, they deserted him and they fled. They all ran, scattered. But Jesus, you know, drinking the cup, the great I am, again, we understand what he did, but we need to understand and remember who he is and who he was. That Who did that for us? The great I am did that. He's the one we're looking for. He's the only one that, that, that can give us any hope whatsoever. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son from heaven, the great I Am, God the Son, the great I Am, who has all power, has all authority, and you sent him to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And he came and he, and he willingly gave his life. His, his love bound him. His love led him to the cross for us. What more can we do as, as believers, as followers, is to give our lives back to him. Dedicate our lives to serving him. For all he did for us. It's the very least we can do. What more can we do? Surrender our will to him and follow him. Take up our cross and follow him. And Jesus, we, we thank you. We, we love you. We need you. We thank you for all you've done for us and 
Thank you for the fellowship that we have, for the family of, of believers that we have here. Hold us together. Protect us, Lord. Help us watch out for one another, to watch and pray. And Lord, I pray also for perhaps any that, that don't know you as Savior, as Lord, and as the great I am, and and that today, if that's you, you can open your heart, your life, and say, Jesus, please come in. I, I ask you in. I surrender. I bow my knee. I humble myself and ask you into my life. The great I am, the Savior of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?